0: from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, an organization funded by Congress. Making your voice heard in Congress, along with those of tens of thousands of other citizens, is critically important. Information on how you can take action is available at www.170millionamericans.org. 170 million is the number of Americans who use public and community media each month, including you. That's www.170millionamericans.org. Thank you.
1: Your used car or junker can help keep WERU running strong. Call 877-411-DONATE and the Center for Car Donations will come and take away your used vehicle and sell it to benefit WERU. Cars, trucks, and boats are all eligible. Whether your vehicle will be driven again or sold for parts or scrap, it can still help your community radio station. Turn your old car into money for WERU. Call 877-411-DONATE. You can find that number again at WERU.org under the support drop down menu. Support for Talk of the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at mainecf.org.
2: It's 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online everywhere at weru.org. Talk of the Towns with host Ron Beard is up next.
1: We'll explore that topic or that word in just a minute, but we all talk about what we see in nature. We record the weather in our diaries and our letters. We note changes from season to season and year to year, and that's the essence of phenology. And this morning we have some folks in the studio who can help us with that um, topic and learn more about a program called Signs of the Seasons, a project that engages citizens and students in observations about seasonal changes. As a way to better understand what's happening to our climate and its impact on people and the planet. I want to welcome back uh, to Talk of the Towns Esperanza Stancioff. Esperanza is with the University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. Welcome, Esperanza.
3: Thanks, Ron, for having us.
1: And you've brought with us, uh, with you, uh, Jesse Mullen, who is a professor at Maine Maritime Academy. Welcome to you, Jesse. Thanks, it's my pleasure. Great. Squeeze right up to that microphone, and we'll all be able to hear one another. Um, Esperanza, maybe you could um, get started. Just um, give us a little bit of uh, background on your work with Cooperative Extension Sea Grant uh, General, and that's changed in in the last uh, couple of years.
3: Yeah, that's that's right, Ron. Um, I have in the past, you know, for well, I've been with the university for twenty three years, and most of that time has been spent in coastal environmental monitoring, um, citizen science projects, uh, working you know for the betterment i guess of the um of the shellfish industry and you know looking for pollution sources and that type of thing um so through that environmental monitoring um uh you know has been established a lot of uh great citizen science programs and then you know from there um i had a, i went on sabbatical and during that sabbatical i studied uh changing climate and uh both adaptation and social science uh research and um and came up with an idea that's not so new but uh, perhaps more new to, to Maine. And that is to look at, um, you know, the changes, the biological changes in our environment um, Mm -hmm. and do, uh, you know, a more climate change-focused environmental monitoring program.
1: Mm. And, Jesse, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be um, Mm -hmm. working as a professor at Maine Maritime Academy.
2: Sure. Um, I uh, am a phycologist, so someone who studies algae. Um, And I did my dissertation at the University of Maine looking at another rockweed, not ascophyllum, but fucus, and looking at its reproductive ecology and population genetics on the shore. Um, and I became interested in citizen science and um, incorporated some citizen science in my dissertation. So I was thrilled when Esperanza, and another coordinator for Science of the Seasons, sort of um, talked about phenology because I've been interested in uh, phenology for a while.
1: Mm. What's that word mean, Esperanza? What's, what's the, n- the nature of that word?
3: Well, phenology is uh, uh, it's a Greek word, and it it sort of means the occurrence or appearance of, and the study of that. So, it's it's looking at life cycles of plants and animals um, over time, and uh, you know how there's many factors that go into that. Weather certainly uh, plays into those differences and changes, but climate also is the thing that we're really concerned about. Um, weather's kind of what you, you know, what you see today and climate is is more long-term. Maybe most climatologists look at climate um, over a 30-year period. I think that you can certainly, in phenology, um, you know, I may be wrong about this, but it seems like, you know, 10-year spans, you can certainly start to see some differences and, and some trends going on. So it's really looking at, um, well, if you if you think of you know, uh, uh, each month of the year and you start to think of things that that you notice in your natural world, um, be it blueberry picking in August or, you know, it's when these things, um, the first flowering, the first fruiting, um, the changing color of the leaves on the maples, for example. So it's all of these things that are constantly changing um, life cycles through the seasons, Mm -hmm. basically. So we call it nature's calendar.
1: And, and we're not the first uh, to have invented this or thought about this. Um, mariners, especially, have been always looking at um, right. the changing season and the changing mm-hmm. both uh, weather and patterns of weather so that they can mm-hmm. predict, can we get to sea and get back safely? So that's a, an observation. Farmers have always been looking at the seasons and, and observing things. So how, you know, how, how do we tap into that um, set of knowledge, the, the right. farmers and the mariners, mm-hmm. for instance?
3: Right. Um, I think that um, there exists uh, uh, in certain records and journals that people have kept over time um, data that you know, certainly can be mined. Um, and I think that um, the, the beauty of Signs of the Seasons, a main phenology project, is that we can start to have diverse audiences who are looking at these things uh, look at them in a more systematic, methodical way and that 's kind of what sets us apart from just writing it down in a journal. This actually captures the data uh, by uh, volunteers involved, and they could be from any walk of life um, and with any background, um, you know making those observations and um, then recording those observations so scientists can actually use those data um, and see what 's happening over mm.
1: time i 've just recently read a, a, an account of of uh, vo- um, kind of amateur Uh, volunteer astronomers, astronomers, I guess, um, who are kind of looking at the skies and they're collecting information and then feeding that into a system that is used by um, hard scientists or people Mm -hmm. who are studying. So it's the same kind of idea that we're enlisting volunteers to, to observe what they observe. Exactly. Mm. exactly. So um, th- this isn't the first time you've you've uh, each of you have engaged in what you're calling citizen science. Tell me more about that term, Esperanza, and then Jesse.
3: Well, um, the the programs that I've been involved in partnership with others on are um, things like water quality monitoring. Um, we had Clean Water Partners in monitoring as an example. Um, where at the peak of it we had a thousand volunteers in the state and it was um, high school students uh, partnering with local watershed um, organizations of some sort and they would um, collect samples and uh, and look at uh, various water quality parameters Um, And they actually
1: had equipment. You weren't just asking them to go out and pick it up in a cup. You had equipment Exactly,
3: yeah. So, you know, through soft money grants, we provided equipment and training and support throughout um, to all these folks uh, in 26 different communities uh, for that program. And uh, our closest partner, and certainly um, who developed the program with us, was the Maine Coastal Program. And um, so we were able to... Um, look at areas where the main Department of Marine Resources were not able to have enough staff to go into. So we went and, you know, sort of um, targeted areas and looked at uh, what the, the changes were um, over time of water quality and tried to uh, document those sources and, and clean up those sources. Good news about bacteria is once you clean up the sources, then, you know, the water quality uh, returns to a good state.
1: And so, then, then you yeah. can
3: harvest clams. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So, and, you know, for one example, eight years it took us in the St. George River to clean up the sources, and um, 125 harvester jobs were, were then instated as mm-hmm. a result of that work and, and other things that went on at that time. Mm-hmm. But, um, and then there's, you know, phytoplankton monitoring that was done. As another. What's the phytoplankton? Um, the main phytoplankton monitoring program, which is now <clears throat> solely uh, resides, excuse me, <coughs> With the Department of Marine Resources, uh, they use, a, use it as an early warning indication system for um, their uh, biotoxin monitoring program uh, to look at um, what's commonly known as red tide or um, um, uh, alexandrium species, which is a, a toxic uh, Phytoplankton. And um, so uh, volunteers had scopes, uh, field scopes, and they were looking at through field microscopes and documenting what's in the water column uh, for those cells and then uh, faxing that information to the Department of Marine Resources. So that's a, an ongoing program that's been very successful. Um, And that's totally citizen science. Mm -hmm. And, Jesse, how did you use
1: uh, volunteers in your um, research on uh, the the seaweed?
3: Sure. I
2: sort of, um, I was looking at um, trying to characterize very um, small-scale circulation patterns, specifically around Scudic Point and Pemiquid Point. Mm. And I deployed um, oranges um, to look at circulation patterns but I was based in an Orono and I needed to have locals um, identify and tell me where they were finding the oranges <laughs> so, but I, and I think that there's a, a tremendous number of citizen science initiatives around the state and the country that really are so successful to harness people's energy and enthusiasm and, and people who really have a passion for science but they've chosen another occupation so the bio blitzes that take place in Acadia National Park each year are other really great examples of
1: what's a bio blitz
2: it's sort of a between a 24 hour and a 48 hour all all hands come and gather whatever organism they're looking at so they've done butterflies they've done beetles they've done some choice organism where they have a research scientist working in coordination with lots of citizen scientists collecting the data and really, many hands make light work
1: mm. and what did you find in in your your orange experiment? <laughs> it sounds great yeah
2: it was it was fantastic um, because it was tangible. People could think about an orange and find an orange really quite easily. and we were able to um, kind of characterize on a very, very um, crude scale kind of local circulation patterns that Um, I was looking at really at seaweed, but seaweed could then be um, moving from eastern sides of coastal points to western sides and western sides to eastern sides. But instead of tagging a seaweed, um, the oranges were a great beacon.
1: Great, great. Well, Esperanza, where did you get the idea for Signs of the Season, or maybe you and some colleagues, but how did you get the idea for Signs of the Seasons?
3: Um, Well, in studying uh, a changing climate and uh, knowing that uh, people have a hard time with the terminology or the concepts behind climate change because it's a very, very complex science. Um, uh, I wanted to give, um, you know, I wanted to develop something with others that um, that could be really meaningful and um, accessible to people of, you know, uh, diverse backgrounds and uh, so that they could, you know, do things that they're perhaps already doing, uh, like Master Gardeners and 4-H Youth, you know, getting outside, looking at things, um, uh, other also coastal volunteers already engaged in, in other uh, environmental monitoring programs on the coast, and, you know, that they could um, actually uh, take their their knowledge and and then, um, you know, put it in our, a systematic way to collect data. And I just really thought that um, if people could... Uh, you know the awareness level might be raised of what these things mean through the ecological interactions that they're learning about and seeing in, in their natural world.
1: So part of the, 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 <clears throat> the importance then is to give some feedback back to the volunteers so they're seeing how their data is helping scientists observe patterns.
3: Absolutely and there's a, there are a lot of uh, examples out there uh, historically of phenology projects as well as current ones that are going on in Maine. Um, you know uh you know the people are coming out of the woodwork so to speak to uh uh, to let us know about the the research that's going on in Maine and elsewhere, and I think that those are great examples that that people can actually see that this is you know this is important work.
1: Mm. So as you um, began to think about signs of the seasons, um, maybe even before it had a name, uh, what, what what's the, what are the elements of that? You've got some species mm-hmm. that you're particularly looking at, and, right. and Jesse can help us with that picture too. But mm-hmm. you, you get us started, Esperanza.
3: Okay. Well, <clears throat> we have thirteen species that. Um, are commonly found in backyards and schoolyards, and uh, very easy to identify. And also um, found in other states as well. So it's called a calibration species. Um, these thirteen that we're looking at—well, twelve of them anyway—and because uh, they're found, uh, like I said, in a, in a lot of different places, and so comparisons can be made across regions and, and states. Um, and uh, if we, you know, use the same species like this, then we can also collect a lot of data that can then be analyzed more clearly. Um, and so there's uh, elements as far as you know training uh, we've done.
1: Let's stick with the species. Okay. What are, are okay. some of the species in the, and oh, what, sure. what particular things are you you looking for people to collect <laughs> about those species? Right,
3: right. Thank you. Um, well um uh, some of them are red maple, sugar maple, common dandelion, um forsythia, common lilac, wild strawberry, milkweed, monarch uh robins um monarch uh, butterflies monarch butterflies yeah. sorry um uh common loon, ruby-throated hummingbird rockweed, um, and beach
1: Okay. So these are things that people have in their local <laughs> environment, whether it's the schoolyard or the backyard. And what are you asking them to observe about these different species?
3: Yeah, um, well, each, uh, each species or groupings of species have um, different life cycle phases. And so we're looking at, for example, you know, uh, for uh, red maples, we would be looking at, you know, when, when the color changes, like right now, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, when that occurs. And so, so uh, volunteers are going out and uh, documenting um, those on a data sheet, and it's a simple yes, no, or a question mark about what they're seeing um, as far as that life cycle. Um, so in the spring, it would be, you know, the, the, um, the first leaf bud, you Know um, and then you know how what percentage of, of leaves are out, for example. So that's so that they go to their
1: favorite tree that happens to be a, a red maple or sugar maple, <clears throat> is that and, and they're looking at that tree for the first leaf.
3: Well, yes, that's correct, and you know we we certainly uh, they they need to establish a site or sites mm-hmm. where they're going to see those things, and there's you know parameters around all of uh, the things that they're going to be selecting, you know, like uh, the location of it, and you know we want to have it away from a road or or a, a building, for example, because that might change the mm-hmm. you know the timing of mm-hmm. it, um, the natural timing of a of, of a plant, the first leafing or what whatever phase that we're looking at, and. Um, uh, so the site selection is important, and uh, in going to that same site and that same plant. So you mark that mm. plant uh, so that you go back to that each time. Mm-hmm. And it's a you know like I said a systematic uh, approach.
1: Mm-hmm. And Jesse, what's ascophyllum? Remind us what that is, and how do you how do you uh, work with volunteers around that?
3: Sure. So
2: ascophylum is um, a type of rockweed. It's commonly called also knotted rack. It's one of the dominant um, brown seaweeds that you see on shores often in. Um coastal areas, but also in estuaries as well um it often is quite large and long mm-hmm. um, and people have uh a association with popping the air right. bladders that right. are sort of running along the the body of the plant or the thallus. Mm-hmm. um and it um is in the signs of the seasons program um characterized like an we're um, not going to ask uh, volunteers to go and look at individual um individual plants and look at those because it 's very hard but um, each of the, the indicator species has a, a protocol assigned to it. So the idea is to go out and look at a particular site systematically to see when their reproductive structures are present and what what kind of um, phase they're present in.
1: So that m- gets to us to training. Not everyone would know that automatically. Exactly. You have to kind of help train them mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So what's what's the training um, consist of? How do you, first of all, you right. have to recruit some volunteers and then you bring them together.
3: Right. We were really lucky um, early on. Um, Portland Press Herald did a, an interview of several of us involved and, um, and uh, wrote a nice article. And we had a response of almost 400 people um, asking about getting involved. Mm. And um, so we've had uh, to date 11 or 12 trainings around the state um, uh, just did one uh, in Searsport uh, high School this mm. this week uh, for Ask a film for looking at uh, um, the seaweed and uh, so it's been uh, it's been um, all over and we've had uh, we've trained over 210 people now um, and that sort of translates into, Uh, You know, people can put their data online at any time. You know, they can even do it at the end of the season. So we're hoping that others will be also uh, inputting their data. But so far we've had about 60 regular uh, folks um, actually inputting data into the online database of the uh, USA National Phenology Network, which Mm. houses the, the database for across the country.
1: And what's that um, process like? It's it's a computer process. Um, How easy is that?
3: Well, it's um, for people who have registered for a site and Um, you know, with an email and a password. That's how you get onto the site. Um, And then um, there's a step-by-step process that you go through to register your site or sites and your plants and animals and, um, you know, a little bit about uh, each of those things. Um, And then it's just a a matter of uh, transferring your uh, data uh, from your your paper data sheet in the field to uh, that online database. So, uh, but the training is about a two-and-a-half two hour training. We've done a, a webinar-type training, so that's available to people during the off-season if they want to you know, uh, learn more uh, about what's really involved that we can provide to them. And we've developed a lot of resources um, for mm-hmm.
1: this. And so um, the data has been entered into this database mm-hmm. um, that's uh, maintained as a national database. What happens to the data after mm-hmm. after, after it's there? How do right. we how do we learn from that data? Right. How do we find out what's going on?
3: Well, um, volunteers can actually go on to the site and they can look through visualization tools, or you know, through uh, they can actually, you know, uh, you know, see the the maps of where uh, the observers are located. They can graph their data. Um, and scientists are collecting that uh, through this, um, you know, collaborative, um, and able to uh, analyze those data. Um. So,
1: so if, if Jesse, if you've got somebody involved in Ascapillin in in Eastport and somebody involved in Ascapillin in in Portland, those folks can actually look and see what those patterns are emerging from both of those sites.
2: Exactly, and that's that's sort of the beauty of it too, is that you're able to get lots of geographic breadth in Mm -hmm. terms of having many people looking at lots of different locations and then getting to see a a much larger and um, well-described picture.
1: Mm. But So it sounds like that the observers, the volunteers can actually take the next step in science and then maybe pose a question and they can look at the data too. It's not just the scientists at a university that can begin thinking about what's happening here. Is that right?
3: That's right. That's right. And I think that that's uh, the beauty of, um, you know, working with students, too, because they're, they're pretty computer savvy, and mm-hmm. they can do all kinds of things to massage and, and analyze the data themselves for their own, you know, uh, education. I think that, uh, you know, the only thing that, you know, we caution is that, you know, you can't make any real um, uh, sort of um, decisions about the data this early on. We are just right. started, at least in Maine, you right.
1: know. And then, you know, um, citizens might do that. But as each of you as scientists, you use something called peer review. So it doesn't become kind of a scientific um, understanding until other people have looked at that and said, are you following good procedures? So mm-hmm. talk, talk, talk about how this might use peer review, um, not for just, just citizen science, but any of you that are using the data to make uh, judgments about
3: Mm-hmm. well, um I mean, I can let Jesse talk about because this is her research mm-hmm. too right. um, for the Ascaphylum, and uh, I think that you know there's there 's definitely a lot of scientists involved. Um, I can point to one of the the um, the people here in maine who uh, has done a lot of phenology. He's an actual phenologist and uh-huh. he's done a lot of research. Um, used to be the science director for the USA Phenology Network. Um, that's Abe Millerushing, and he's uh, the science director now for Acadia and uh, Scudic uh, Education and Research Center. Center right. And um, he's helped a lot in, uh, you know, getting us started on this program and uh, providing his own research. Um, in Massachusetts, that he's that he's done, and so people like like Abe would be, uh, you know, a part of this peer review, certainly for any data that that starts to get analyzed. And you know, he's been very involved and still involved in the whole network mm. and the scientists who are at the uh, NPN uh, looking at this and in peer reviewing. Um,
1: okay. And Jesse, how do yeah. you use it as in your own research?
3: Yeah, and and I've just sort of um, started. Um,
2: looking at ascophyllum in terms of its um, phenology and documenting its phenology. So I think, like Esperanza had talked about before, we're just starting our baseline data. And it's going to take a long time to accumulate enough data to really start looking at it. But um, the way in which the protocols have been designed allows for those data to be very robust because they're not... um, bias in terms of the data collection, that you're asking people to systematically go out and follow a protocol, and that's one of the things that's really important for a peer review process to make sure that those data are robust Mm -hmm. so that you have confidence when you're at the time point when you wanna analyze those data, that you're confident that those are true.
1: And ascophyllum is a is now a commercial species too. Mm-hmm. So it is. there's a lot of interest in what's happening to ascophyllum, How fast is it growing? So this has really practical. Just like in 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 your earlier work, Esperanza, that water quality led to opening of clam flats or that mm-hmm. study, in in shape.
2: It, it is. It is an economically harvested and um, important um, species for the state of Maine. But uh, it also there's very little knowledge, right. baseline knowledge, in terms of when it is reproductive, mm-hmm. and so. Um, the the knowledge that we do have is that the reproduction is tied to um, temperature and -hmm. so just in terms of having a changing climate and changing local temperatures when it's reproductive might be responding to changes in
1: temperature Mm -hmm. and and we don't have um as my own knowledge would say we don't have a lot of science between um, what are the, what's the management of that resource? I mean, I, the, the, the resource became economically important before we had really good management of of that resource.
2: Oh, I um, I I don't I don't know because uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not in the sort of the resource management side of it. So I don't. But think
1: it, well, I, well, I guess my point is that the research is needed in order to make good management decisions. Absolutely. And you're saying that we've there's a lot of study that's needed. Yeah, yeah, right. I
2: would say that for for most organisms. Um, a lot more natural history and mm-hmm. a lot more really fine, fine scale measurements needed.
1: Mm-hmm. You've mentioned Abe um, Rushing-Miller. Um, who else is involved in this um, work?
3: Right. Um, well, the uh, my, my cohort uh, in developing the program and running the program has been Beth Besson, who's mm-hmm. um, Uh, assistant uh, outreach and education coordinator for Maine Sea Grant Um, she and I really worked hand-in-hand in 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 this in this program and um, we have now an assistant coordinator Medea Steinman who's um, uh, located in the uh, the Ellsworth area and is hosted at uh, the Cirque Institute and um, and then we've had a lot of assistance from Lois Stack, who is our horticulture specialist at uh, Humane Extension. And uh, she's really been great because she's uh, really understands the, you know, she's a botany professor and she's really been helpful in that realm. Um, and we've had Ivan Fernandez, um, you know, assisting us. And uh, Mal Lynn, who is a US Fish and Wildlife Service uh, biologist. Who's also been very instrumental in um, in helping us and uh, assisting with funding and so forth. So.
1: So this is a, a great kind of uh, team and, and uh, are they also part of your advisory council?
3: Exactly. We have a, an amazing uh, advisory uh, committee that is not just in name, but they, uh, they definitely uh, provide a lot of support to the program, actively involved. They're interested in phenology and in seeing this happen in a, a meaningful way.
1: Mm-hmm. You've talked about um, the kinds of folks who are volunteering. They include average citizens, but um, you've got teachers involved. Um, 4-H folks involved. We're going to talk with some of those folks in a few minutes, but talk about the kinds of folks who have shown up to say, I want to be part of this program. Sure.
3: Well, we've had retired professors of, you know, English, literature, uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, science, Uh um, physics. uh, And we've had, um, you know, people working in offices that are, you know, uh, administrative assistants. Um, We've had um, uh, carpenters we've had um, all kinds of people uh, students at all levels um, so it's been really an interesting uh, blending of, of folks
1: and 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 what have teachers reactions been teachers in mm-hmm. grade schools or high school what have mm-hmm. their reactions been well
3: they're really excited about it because not only does it it get uh, students outside but um, you know we have a uh uh I think kids are more and more um involved in the computer, which this also gives them a connection to the computer in a in a you know a data um management type of way um but also it gets them outside and it and it uh, increases awareness of their environment and I think that 's really exciting uh to combine all these things into one program and and also teach them scientific method mm. um so it 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 reaches a lot of the science concepts there can be journalistic. Things we have, uh, you know, developed a lot of uh, curriculum, um, lesson plans and activities uh, for teachers that they're excited about. So it's been a really uh, wonderful um, response.
1: And I suppose there are a few English teachers that are pointing to their students and saying, go read Thoreau.
3: Absolutely, I think. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> and
1: and and why? Why why Thoreau?
3: Um, yeah. Well, Thoreau was uh, a methodical a phenologist. He he definitely um, did a lot of of research and on Walden Pond and um, and looked at um, you know hundreds of species uh, over a fifty year period and. Um, Documented those changes, and through Abe and others' uh, work, Abe, Abe Millerushing, rushing um, they have found that, you know, about 25% of those species are no longer found there based mm. on a changing climate. Mm. So he was pretty important in documenting all of those um and I think
1: of of students who haven't grown up either uh, as mariners or f- on fishing communities or in farming communities as as it used to be. So um, this is real, and those the the the, the uh, youngsters of those families were brought up to observe um, mm-hmm. the, the seasons and and these phenomenon. Um, all students haven't had that background, so you're able to kind of reintroduce this kind of connection to nature. Um, through the through this program,
3: right. I think that's the, really the beauty of it. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, we, you've been listening to um, to Esperanza Stancioff. Esperanza is with University of Maine Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant, and Jesse Mullen, who's a professor at Maine Maritime Academy. We're talking about Signs of the Seasons, a new program that helps people look at and observe and and collect data about the changes um, that they're seeing in their their own neighborhoods. And um, this is called Talk of the Towns and a little later on we'll invite your calls as well. But right now we're going to talk with uh, two folks who are involved in the 4-H program down in Cumberland County. Welcome to Mitch Mason. Mitch is with uh, another colleague with Cooperative Extension. Welcome to you, Mitch.
0: Thank you very much.
1: And um, one of the folks that you work with, a a 4-H leader, adult 4-H leader, is Wendy Almeida. Welcome to you, Wendy.
4: Hi,
1: thanks for having me. Uh, Mitch, maybe you could describe very briefly the 4 H program. Not all of our listeners understand what that is, and then we can talk about your connection to Signs of the Seasons. But first to you, Mitch.
0: Sure. Um, the 4 H program is actually one of the largest youth development programs in the world. And what a lot of folks don't realize Mitch, can you, Mitch, that can you is
1: speak you up just a little bit?
0: Sure. So, Sure. Um, The 4-H program is the largest, actually, youth development program in the world. And can you hear me now, Ron? Yes, that's fine. Okay. Um, And what a lot of people don't realize is that 4-H is actually tied to the University of Maine,
1: here in Maine,
0: and we serve several thousand kids a year. One of the goals of 4-H is to actually foster a million new scientists across the country. So the Signs of the Seasons is a great program to help us in our endeavors.
1: And um, what what was your first um, um, connection to Signs of the Season? How did you learn about it?
0: Well, I learned uh, about it through Esperanza. Esperanza is a great ambassador for the program. And she talked to 4-H youth educators, which are faculty at the university, about this program. And when I first heard about it, I immediately saw the connection between um, the university between research and science, and our local communities, and we have a lot of families such as Wendy's that are trying to connect their kids to not only sustainable living practices but also science and um, developing hands-on experiential learning activities.
1: And, and Wendy, um, when did you did you hear about this uh, this possibility from Mitch?
4: Uh, yes, I heard it through the 4-H office. They send out a newsletter, and I had spoken with Mitch, and it was for um, adults to get trained to work with the youth. So that's how I I went to the training to um, learn more about it and connect my kids to the program.
1: And had you already been a, a, a youth leader, a 4-H leader?
4: Yes, I've been. Uh, yes, I've been a 4-H leader for about eight years.
1: Oh, great! And and tell us about why you decided that you wanted to be involved in 4-H. <sighs>
4: Well, in 4-H, my my children like animals, and they um, we m- met up with a great 4-H group um, when they were little, and it's just it was a great connection, and it was a great time. So the kids wanted to continue. So
1: that's great. Yeah. And and how have you introduced signs of the seasons to uh, the uh, your kids and and others in in your 4-H clubs?
4: Um, well, I think. That what attracted me as a leader was that it was a simple project. It, you know it took some time to get the kids set up, but that it is a fairly easy project to implement to with the kids because they just go in their backyard. Uh-huh. and 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 they get assistance on identifying. Their tree, or um, or other item that they're going to observe in their yard, and then they can get confirmation that that's in fact they they identified it correctly, and then can just sit and observe their their, their tree. My kids have chosen a tree, so uh-huh. so they, um, and I have a photography enthusiast. My my older daughter, she's a teenager, and she loves photography. So she's she her observation is a little more active in that she's watching her tree and taking pictures and seeing what's around it and taking pictures of all of around what's happening, her tree, once a week.
1: So, And have you noticed that they're, um, they've got new questions as a result of getting involved in this project? Are they curious about all of this?
4: Absolutely. Well, they downloaded on um, my, I have an iPhone, and they downloaded the insect application from Audubon because they found insects on their tree and were taking pictures and weren't quite sure what they were. Uh-huh. It wasn't necessarily exactly related to the phenology project, but it totally piqued their interest, and so they wanted to find out more. So right. it's been great.
1: Great. And, and and have they gotten other teens or other uh, young people involved, um, or is it just your family?
4: Um. It. Um, they have talked to other kids about it, and they do have friends who are also doing it. So, um, so we've encouraged people to say it's really easy because you just walk out your back door and do your observations, you know, once or twice a week. And for kids, that's a really easy, fun thing to do, and feel like you're connected to to other kids who are doing exactly the same thing. So, there's quite a few kids in Cumberland County doing it.
1: That's great. And how about um, the connection between this kind of work and their work in school? Do you find that this makes them better better students in school? Cool.
4: I think it gives them appreciation for paying attention to details because when you're observing the tree and you're sitting there for 15 minutes, you're going to notice details you wouldn't notice if you just, like, you know, were walking by.
1: So this this causes people to slow down a little bit.
4: It does. It definitely does. The kids have a chair, they go out there and they just sit. It's great.
1: <laughs> and that's probably good for moms, too. Kids, <laughs> go outside and watch your tree. <laughs> <laughs> Mitch what would you add to this um how have you involved other folks besides Wendy in in this project
0: Well we have a lot of uh, 4H school teach uh, 4H uh in school programs that are started because of this there's a lot of school teachers of all different grade levels that are excited about it and they're just starting to implement in their classroom now so we're looking forward to seeing how it's implemented in the schools and how what the outcomes of that are um but I think a lot of it, they're excited is because it really relates the local, it, the kids can relate what they're learning to their own lives. Mm. You know, they collect this data. It's real data. It's used for a purpose. They're not just learning for the sake of learning. Mm. So I think the kids really connect to that, and I think the teachers are going to appreciate that.
1: Oh, that's great. And um, so if people in the Cumberland County area are interested in, in connecting 4-H and, and um, this notion of signs of the seasons, how do they get in touch with you?
0: Well, they can contact me through the local cooperative extension office. My number is 781-6099. And what we would do is connect them also with Medea. Esperanza had mentioned Medea Steinman. And she'll get them started on the training and how to collect data and um, we also have some kits available through our office that provide the equipment that uh, a classroom might need to go out and, and uh, identify a plant and um, collect the data.
1: Great. So. And, uh, Wendy, the kind of final question to you, what would you tell other parents um, who might not have taken the plunge and become 4-H leaders but they're interested in this type of project? What would you tell them?
4: Um, I would tell them that it's... If- really um, great way to teach the kids that, that the information they collect um, is, has a lot of value mm. to scientists, and that what they're doing is real-life science, and I think for kids that, that means something to them because they know they're contributing to a larger effort and that they are really scientists observing and reporting their findings.
1: Oh, that's great. Well, thanks to both of you, Wendy Almeida, who's a youth leader with the Phenology Club um, in the Cumberland County area, 4-H Club, and Mitch Mason, who's a faculty member with Cooperative Extension and helps coordinate the 4-H program. Thanks to both of you for being with us on Talk of the Towns. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. Bye-bye. Um, you're listening to Talk of the Towns, and it's your turn now. You can participate as we talk about signs of the seasons. Give us a call locally at 1, uh, excuse me, toll free six six. 625-9378 or locally at 469-0500 and share your questions, your experience, perhaps your observations about uh, the, the changing seasons. In the studio with us are Jesse Mullen. Mullen is a professor at Maine Maritime Academy and Esperanza Stancioff is my colleague with Cooperative Extension and Sea Grant. Um, w- any comments on on, on uh, what Mitch and, and uh, Wendy brought to this conversation, Esperanza?
3: Well I, I think that uh I just wanna give a little plug for Cumberland County because they have been really active in this and uh that's where we had the the largest response and maybe it was because of the Portland Press Herald uh article and that our first uh training that we did was in um in Falmouth at uh Maine Audubon hmm. uh facility there and uh who's also a a, a partner um, and advisor to our program, so I think that um I think that that uh you know and also there 's a large population in mcarland right. county right. uh but I think that it was really interesting that um you know they really took this up and um and they helping us to to shape this, you know, for the 4-H and uh, as well as for educators. Mm.
1: So if, if listeners are probably not tuned in, unless they're doing it by computer, <laughs> um, uh, online uh, in the Cumberland County area, but if people are listening locally and they're interested in this, how would they learn more? How would they get in touch?
3: Right. Well, we have, uh, we have a website and uh, as signs of the seasons and it, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have the URL with me, but Perfect. I can tell you that if you go to University of Maine Cooperative Extension, if you Google that and then uh, Maine uh, uh, Signs of the Seasons the Maine Phenology Project, you'll find it. Um, so we have a website and has all our contact information, or they can contact me directly. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have an 800 number, one eight hundred two four four two one zero four, 244 2104 or locally uh, in, out of the Waldboro office is where I am. Um, Eight
1: three two zero three four three. And I've I've um, downloaded some of the pages from the website. It's just really uh, practical, easy um, to understand and read. So you'd learn quite a bit about some of the details um, by going to that website.
3: Right, right. And we have a lot of resources. We have a field guide. Uh, you know, people really oh, us want us to the field delve guide. into yes. it. Yeah, we have two of them actually. Um, one of them is the the major field guide, and it was it was uh, certainly adapted from the uh, Nature's Notebook uh, Field Guide, which is the component of the USA uh, National Phenology Network that um, houses the database and and has materials on how to do this. Uh, We adapted it for Maine and for our purposes and our species and our protocols. And so it's a pretty uh, hefty document, um, but it takes you step by step through the whole process. Um, I don't uh, recommend folks just getting the field guide and then trying it on their own. But um, we've done a number of different ways to get people started um, in you know conducting all the trainings in person. We've tried to really accommodate people all over the state. and um, also we have, as I mentioned, I think previously a, a sort of a WebEx or webinar type uh, 45 minute program that we did that walks you through the basics. Um, Certainly, we're very responsive uh, to any uh, questions that people have or issues that come up, and uh, we are pretty immediate in our responses via either telephone or email, whatever works best for our volunteers, and like I said, we have a a whole cadre of, of experts out there to answer uh, questions that I can't answer. <laughs> mm.
1: When we l- l- heard from Wendy, she talked about um, her uh, youngsters through the 4-H program going out and sitting in front of their tree. Uh, <laughs> Jesse, how how do you help um, volunteers kind of connect with ask a Film And and what are you asking them particularly to observe? You talked about the the did you say the fruiting bodies? Or the mm, yeah, the yeah, reproductive yeah. parts.
2: So, so seaweed reproduces just like uh, a, a terrestrial plant would, and uh-huh. in, in producing a reproductive structure. <clears throat> terrestrial plants, you think of them as flowers, and seaweed flowers look a little bit different. Um, but the idea is first to just be able to identify what ascophyllum is, because uh-huh. I think a lot of people just see seaweed on rocks and think it's all the same, but it's, there's, there's quite a little diversity there, too. Um, and then just sort of... Um, get acquainted with an individual ascophyllum plant and then see all of its structures and then be able to identify whether or not it's reproductive, because when it's reproductive, it has a fruiting body of sorts. Mm -hmm. Um, And then to assess, you know, is it the fruiting body sort of new? Is it at its peak of reproduction or is it kind of old and wasted and, or is it not present at all.
1: Mm-hmm. And so um, they have a data sheet. What's on the data sheet? What are you asking them to collect other than those those kinds of observations?
2: So so that's the first start of it. So the um, the field guide for um, for rockweed is a little bit different than the the field guide that Esperanza talked about mm-hmm. that there's a coastal guide com- kind of companion to that Esperanza's made. Um, and so uh you can't just go out any time of the day like right, you, could you gotta with to your worry tree. about the tides you have to worry about the tides, you <laughs> have to be careful of your footing um, yeah. and so uh it would be to kind of you know acquaint yourself with it and then go out and look at along a transect line along a some little distance how many individuals are reproductive and the The data sheet is in a very very simple yes no format of do you see hmm. any um, reproductive stages in their Um, pictures to go along with what the stages are going to look like. And so it's a yes-no format that then would be translated to the online data sheet.
1: And um, you said that it might be um, some temperature Related, So you're asking them to take the temperature of the water, mm-hmm. or do they get that from another source? Yeah,
3: yeah there, there are actually um, three procedures. We call it procedure A and B and C. Uh-huh. And yep. uh, the first one is basically just doing the phenology work, the, the, the stages of reproduction and so forth um, that Jesse's talking about. And then uh, uh, the next one, it would be um, aging the plant and looking at growth. And then uh, the third procedure, which goes with... Um, Any and all of those would be the water quality parameters, which includes temperature, salinity, and next year we'll be adding pH. Uh So they're looking at um, the plant, but its environment. Yeah, because
2: if you just took one temperature reading, um, it wouldn't give a whole explanation. So it would be you know the understanding what the stages of reproduction will be, and then looking at longer term or larger scale temperature records will help kind of link those things together.
1: And that's what some of your research is yeah, doing. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. So the data is being collected is going to help you with with your research.
2: Exactly. Great.
1: Well, I want to remind listeners they can participate as well. Toll-free 1-866-625-9378. We do have a caller online, so um, we'd ask them to give us their first name and where they're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please
5: this is Beattie in Camden, and I'm really excited about this project. And um, we tried to say something about it on our climate table at the Common Ground Fair. I, we had so much else on the table, I don't know whether we got any takers. But um, I just wanted to say that um, we also put out a call to farmers to, you know, send in their records and observations, but it would be really nice and maybe Extension's already doing this um, for farmers to be uh, doing something about, um, you know, when they plant and mm. how that's changing uh, the harvest dates. And I mean, there's just so much to be gathered. <laughs> um, this, this sounds simple enough that it's really going to go somewhere, but um, I just want to put a plug in for the, the uh, commodities people who are out there in the weather, too.
1: Great. Well, thanks for your call, and thanks for listening and, and uh, participating this morning, Dee. Dee. Yep. Thanks uh, for Esperanza, too. Sure. <laughs> uh-huh. This is uh, Talk of the Towns here on WERU. You can participate as well. Give us a call uh, locally at 469-0500 or toll-free 1-866-625-9378. So how, how is the agricultural community responding to this project?
3: Right. Um, well, I um, I. Th- don't really I mean I think that it's mostly the horticulture folks the the gardeners and so forth I am not sure um exactly because we don't always know exactly where people are are coming from and what their background is I think certainly we've had some um folks involved in agriculture in production um, um as in uh farmers markets and that type of thing mm-hmm. um so I think that you know to that extent we've had some folks involved I I do want to put a plug in for my colleague john jemison um who's our uh, an agriculture and water quality specialist at the university of Maine cooperative extension and i know he's been doing a lot of work with farmers in um uh you know in focus groups and so forth and i think that a lot of what he's doing is is looking at things that are changing um in the environment uh much like what we're doing but on a, a just a a much um more, well, I don't know if informal is the right word, but in a different way. Mm-hmm. So I would um, encourage Beatty and others interested to look him up um, and see what kind of work. He's on a, uh, a professor trusteeship mm-hmm. doing some work on this. Um, you know, uh, looking at climate and weather and uh, and production in farming. Mm. Well, I know
1: that um, you may not have in directly oh. involved historians, but historians are often they mm. find their data because um, some farmer has got a record book in right. the, in the attic, and, and right. instead of throwing those out, <coughs> historians say, bring them to yeah. a central source so we can kind of right. make sure we discover those. So talk yeah. about that.
3: Well, I, the USA National Phenology Network has um, um, an, a, a database or a, a process by which uh, people who have these historical records can start to put them into a database, which will be really helpful because the journals on the shelf, while they're meaningful to the people collecting that and making those observations, don't really do us a lot of good in the science of it. So, you know, I'd encourage people to to uh, get in touch with us or the, uh, certainly USA and PN on that. Um, a little story about um, uh, a woman in... Um, Middleborough, I think, Massachusetts, Um, and this is work that again um, Abe uh, Miller Ruching did through his uh, doctorate uh, study, and uh, worked with a woman named Kathleen Anderson, who owned a large farm, and for every single day she took a daily walk and looking at, um, you know, the first uh, emergence of uh, uh, frog sounds and uh, you know different flowering and you know a number of different. types of species and uh, doing a a very intensive record of phenological record of these things, the different uh, seasons and and cycles of of life stages. And so she had done this for 50 years, Mm. 50 years of data. And so when they asked her, um, you know, Ms. Anderson, did you um, find any changes in those 50 years? And she said, well, I'm not really sure. I don't think so. So they asked if they could work with those data, and they did, and come to find out that things had really changed a lot. Um, I don't have the specifics in front of me on that, but um, it was really interesting to the research team that, yes, indeed, things had, had uh, definitely changed a lot in those two. So by years. that, do
1: you mean that the, the season was changing in some way, that we were having um, plants flower earlier or um, leaves drop off later, um, so we're expanding yeah. that that yeah. temperate
3: Right, and so. you know uh native uh plants may fall by the wayside, and uh invasives may take over in those habitats because they can adapt more readily to temperature changes than uh oftentimes uh, more sensitive plants can, so you know a lot of um uh, uh plants have just uh, aren't there aren't found there anymore. Mm-hmm.
1: We probably have time for a short phone call. Again, one 625 9378 or locally 469-0500 as we talk about signs of the seasons here on Talk of the Towns. Esperanza Stantioff and uh, Jesse Muehlen are with us in the studio. Um, Esperanza or Jesse, maybe Jesse, um, where would you like this project to go from your, your standpoint in terms of your research? How do you want it to see this program develop?
2: Sure. I think um, just kind of uh, establishing a really good group of volunteers to reliably go out and collect data and input those data are is the is the best thing mm. and And just to kind of get people really enthusiastic about um, signs of the seasons um, mm-hmm. and and see how they could participate. and if they're not by the coast, what other types of indicator species that are available and close to them so that they could participate?
1: I, thought, I, I was really interested to see loons on your list of mm-hmm. indicator species, and mm-hmm. we know that there's a lot of interest on our lakes and, and ponds. If I have a conversation with my brother um, who lives on a lake in New Hampshire, it always starts with how the loon's doing. Mm-hmm. So we know these things, we watch these critters, mm-hmm. and it would be great to kind of feed that in so that we can help um, with the science that leads to better management or to protect these species. Yeah, That's, Esperanza, where do you want this program to go?
3: Well, I think just uh, yeah, um, what you both have said is 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 definitely a direction um, that we'd all like to see. Um, I think, uh, you know, having more <coughs> uh, management decisions and um, and scientists perhaps involved in uh, shaping the program and certainly we're doing that through our advisory committee um,
1: so they might be saying well, I wonder how we could get better information about X Y or Z
3: right right yeah. I mean we you know we, we obviously want to improve upon the program and we have an evaluation system in place to do that to, to get feedback from those involved. Um, we also would like to expand the program. Um, we certainly had no earthly idea that we would have so many uh, folks respond, mm. and they're still responding on a daily basis. So that's really exciting. The media has been really wonderful uh, and helpful for the program. Um, we'd also, I mean, I have grandiose ideas, I guess, about um, you know spreading this um, model. Um, and I think that some people you know that are at um, the National Phenology Network and other places think that this is that we are doing a good job in Maine, uh, which is really nice to hear. Um, there are other states that have cooperative extension programs uh, also doing phenology, so I'm anxious to get together with them and mm. and compare notes and share, which is a big part of what the NPN network is, and also our Northeast Regional Phenology Network. Mm. So,
1: well, it seems like what you're what you're doing um, the two parts of it. One is that you're encouraging all citizens. To be observers of what mm-hmm. they're seeing, and then the next step is to put that down in a place where it can be useful to everybody, not just to you know because it take it, we take pleasure in observing mm-hmm. the changes of the season ourselves, and we we talk with our neighbors. But you're saying that this information, this data, could be useful to m- more people who are asking interesting questions.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I think that's the the key to the program. Um, certainly, it's not everybody's favorite thing to do. But I think uh, knowing that it's actually, you know, used, um, the data are used and will be for, you know, management decisions and scientific decisions. And, you know, when you look at all the things that are happening in our in our uh, world, um, you see that we do need better decision making processes, mm-hmm. and this would help to feed that. And
1: um, w- what are the ways in a, um, what are the ways that you are able to feed back um, this information so people can access the the national website mm-hmm. and kind of get a sense of what's happening with the data? Are you doing anything in Maine that will kind of present some results, or or Jesse, are you doing some things with Askophyllum that will help people understand how their data is important?
2: Sure. Not yet for my part. Uh-huh. Um yeah. but I think that Esperanza mm. and, and the, the kind of the coordinators have kind of developed some ideas of how to communicate back to the volunteers that those data are being used and analyzed.
3: Right. Um, I mean, we certainly have stories of, you know, long-term data sets that we can share, and we do share in our trainings to to make people, you know, to help people realize how useful it is and important uh, these data are. And also we have big plans. I mean, it's too early in Maine to, you know, to look at any trends, of course. Right. Um, But, you know, feeding back through... um, the the database that they can go and actually look um at others data as well that are long longer term data sets and we're also wanting to do some climate change uh related um and ecological interaction type um forums so that that provides a more educational opportunity to our volunteers
1: well, I remember when you were doing some of the other um, citizen science, it really was so great when those folks got together and compared notes, both about what they were seeing, but about how they were collecting the information. So mm-hmm. I can imagine a 4-H younger from, youngster from ha- Cumberland County getting s- together with somebody in Hancock County and saying, what did you see about your tree? <laughs> right, right. Well, we've reached the, almost the end of the hour and I want to thank all of you for being with us this morning. We've come to that time when um, I want to remind you that this program was support produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the 2nd and 4th Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guest in the studio, Esperanza Stancioff of the University of Maine Cooperative Extension in Seagrant, and Jesse Mullen, a professor at Maine Maritime Academy. We are joined by phone by uh, Mitch Mason, who is with Cooperative Extension in Cumberland County, and Wendy Almeida, who is a youth leader with the 4-H program active in this Signs of the Seasons work. Thanks to those of you who listened and called in. Thanks to our underwriters at Maine Community Foundation. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.
5: Each WERU member is a part